This is Robert Fleming, and I'm here with my law partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are Fleming and Curdy PLC. One time we're going to have to do a whole podcast just on how there's a name that isn't either of ours in, in the firm name, but not today. We're going to talk about uh, elder law issues and particularly about the ABLE Act, the Achieving a Better Life Experience Act and how it works in Arizona and what the options are. So, um, Elizabeth, ABLE Act, Who's, who does the ABLE Act speak to? Well, the ABLE Act speaks to disabled adults um, and their families. I would tell you that the ABLE Act is a relatively new option for many families. We talk about the Act and we talk about ABLE accounts. Those are related things. So when we talk about the ABLE Act, we're talking about the legislation that was passed um, and enacted on a federal level that relates to these new savings accounts for folks who are disabled. And when we're talking about ABLE Act accounts, we're actually talking about the account that will specifically hold the savings, the funds for somebody who is disabled. And so I would tell everybody who's listening today, don't worry, this has not been around that long. Um, these changes have happened more recently, and I think that it's just a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for families to help create more independence and autonomy for folks who have disabilities and in the disability community. I will, I'll make a note here, Robert, to just thank you for all the work that you've done on behalf of the ABLE Act, um, both nationally and in Arizona. I think we're going to be using these accounts for years to come. One of your questions for me when I when you asked about ABLE Act is, what do I think about? What is one of the first things that I think about? Well, one of the first things that I think about are 529 plans, because the ABLE Act was actually um, conceptualized first thinking about 529 accounts and how those accounts have been very popular devices for family members to create some savings for people to use for college. And the idea behind the ABLE Act and creating an account through the ABLE Act is actually creating a savings account that works in some ways like a 529 plan that can hold money um, for certain distributions. In this particular case, when we talk about ABLE, we're speaking about distributions that would have to do with somebody's healthcare related um, expenses or personal needs. So the 529 accounts were intended to be education accounts, and that would allow a, a parent or a grandparent to set aside money for the college education originally of their of their child, grandchild, whatever. And and they've been around for quite a few years. And more recently, parents of children with disabilities started saying, hey, how come we can't do something similar? We can't set aside money for, it won't be education for our child because he or she will be will be in the system, will require care for all of their adult life. Uh, and can't we do something similar? I should say, by the way, that a lot of children with disabilities will go to higher education and might be good candidates for a 529 account, depending on the circumstances. But the, except for those who also will be in the educational system, they didn't have anything equivalent. And that's kind of the background. That's why the ABLE account is similar to 529 accounts. The federal legislation that you described, Elizabeth, allowed states to create their own accounts, and Arizona has done so. 
as have about uh, a little more than half, almost two-thirds maybe of the states. But the truth is that most of the states have fallen into one of three or four groups where one state took the lead and created the account and a number of other states have signed on. And that's what Arizona has done. We've signed on to the Ohio account and, uh, and it's, it's uh, Ohio called it stable in order to distinguish it a little bit from ABLE account. So the stable account platform is what Arizona uses. But family members get a little bit fixated on whether their child in Arizona needs to have an Arizona ABLE account or whether they can use the Oregon ABLE Act or the Nebraska ABLE Act or some other state. And the answer is, you could, it doesn't matter where you live where you or the child or person who's a beneficiary of the account lives, you can open the account in any state. And Robert, you use the word beneficiary, but it's correct to say that if I was a disabled adult and I had an ABLE Act account, that account would actually be mine. I would be the owner of that account. So when we talk about creating autonomy and independence for people, particularly in the disability community, these accounts are a big deal. They are, and, and, and they are a terrific way to Im- enhance the autonomy. So somebody who has a disability but is intellectually intact, or somebody who has an intellectual disability but is pretty capable of managing money and, and handling at least relatively straightforward transactions, can be put in charge of what looks for all the world like a checking account or a savings account uh, that, uh, that gives them real control over how the money is spent. How much money can you put into an ABLE account, Robert? All of the contributions from everybody combined in a given year can't exceed $15,000 right now. That number is indexed, and as the gift tax exclusion amount goes up, that number will go up as well. So in a couple of years, it'll be $16,000. It goes up in $1,000 increments. Uh, but uh, but that's a, a key difference between gift tax issues and the ABLE account. It's not $15,000 per person who's contributing to the account. It's $15,000 total. So if I open an ABLE Act account for my son and he qualifies and I put $5,000 in, my mother can't put another 15000 in. If I put $15,000 in, she can't put a penny in. He's already maxed out for this year. And what happens to the money in the account when the owner of the account, the disabled individual, dies? ABLE Act accounts uh, all have to have a provision that the state can make a claim on all of the money. And most states will do that. There are a handful of states that are have decided not to make a claim on the money. So it's really just like a savings account. Arizona is not one of those states. So if you're child, grandchild with a disability, or you if you want to set up your own account. And that's something we don't talk about very often, but you could set up your own ABLE Act account. Uh, If you want to do that, then in Arizona, if you are in Arizona, then there will be a, a claim for recovery. That'll be true, by the way, even if you set up the account in one of the states that doesn't make the claim for recovery, that the decision not to make the claim for recovery is the state of residence, not the state of the ABLE Act account, if that's clear. And Robert, what can you use the money for in these accounts? Well, that's one of the beauties of it. Uh, You're supposed to use the money for what are called qualified disability expenses, and that is defined to include all sorts of things. 
uh, it could be education, could be the subsidies necessary to allow you to get an education. Maybe you need uh, somebody to take notes for you or somebody to type up your notes or uh, somebody to get you from classroom to classroom. All of those expenses can be paid. So can vacations, so can transportation. How about my companion animal? Companion animal is a great use of an ABLE Act account. Um, and specifically in the list of qualified disability expenses is rent, living uh, circumstances. And that has been a big issue for a long time because it's very hard to, to subsidize the rent of somebody who is receiving public benefits. And now, magically, there is a mechanism for doing that so long as they qualify to have an ABLE Act account. So I can actually keep my SSI if I have an ABLE account? Yes, the money that somebody else puts in the ABLE Act account for you is not counted as income. The money that you spend out of your ABLE Act account is not counted as income. There is one weird exception to that that I could explain, but it would take way longer than our average podcast, and it boils down to this. Don't withdraw money from your ABLE Act account in order to pay rent and hold on to it over the first of the month. If you're going to withdraw money to pay the rent, pay it immediately rather than holding on to the, to the check. With that single exception, money that comes into or out of the ABLE Act account is not income for SSI purposes. And my last question, Robert, if I have a 529 plan that I've never used, can I convert it to an ABLE Act account? You can, but please come and talk to us or somebody who knows what they're talking about before you do it, because it turns out that it may actually be better to leave the money in the 529 plan, depending on your circumstances. Uh, it may be that you want to transfer the money just as you actually have things to spend for it. Uh, also, if you transfer money from the 529 account, that, uh, that goes against the $15,000 a year. So in other words, if you had a $50,000 529 account that you set up for your child with autism, who you didn't know was, was going to have autism until after you'd contributed the money or your mother contributed the money or whatever, and you transfer $15,000 from your 529 plan into the ABLE Act account, nobody can make any more contributions that year. So for that, and because of the payback, and because of the limitations, you might want to cautiously transfer money from an existing 529 account. And that means that you may still want to have a special needs trust too, is that right? You know, originally the idea of the ABLE Act account was to require, to, to eliminate the requirement that people set up special needs trusts to, to save families some money so they didn't have to pay fancy lawyers to draft special needs trusts. And as so often happens, the reality that they developed was different from the from that vision. Now the 529, I'm sorry, the ABLE Act account is a terrific adjunct to your special needs trust. So if you wrote a special needs trust for your child with a disability more than five years ago, it almost certainly doesn't include a provision that specifically authorizes the trustee to contribute to an ABLE Act account and it should have such a provision. So that's time to, to update your special needs trust to integrate the, the ABLE Act account rather than compete with the ABLE Act account. Wow, that's a lot of knowledge, Robert. Uh, this is a very narrow area, and if you, if you stop any hundred lawyers of your choice on the street and ask them about ABLE Act accounts, two of them will have ever heard of the things. If you stop a hundred financial planners, 
five of them will have ever heard of the things. They're better known among financial planners than among lawyers, but uh, very few people really know the ins and outs. That's what we do at Fleming and Curdy PLC. And uh, it's been kind of fun talking about this, Elizabeth. I'm Robert Fleming. Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman is my partner and foil on this Elder Law Issues program. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed hearing about ABLE Act accounts, and we hope you will join us for our next session later. Thanks. Bye.